0: would grab a Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. And uh, that's where we'll be focusing our attention for a few minutes that we have together in this part of our worship. Luke chapter 5. Good to see you this morning. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. We hope you feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we want you to know that uh, we're excited that you're here and that we are focused on and interested in Learning about God and drawing closer to God by studying His Word, by trying to do the things that He tells us to do there. And we are thankful that you've chosen to join us in that endeavor this morning. I want to begin. Well, before I do, I've got one more thing I needed to remember to say, which is uh, Brent and Leah are not with us this morning because Brent is preaching in Conway at the Eastside congregation this morning. So be thinking about him. You might say a prayer for him. It's a little nerve wracking. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, He has never preached there before and doesn't know those people at all, and uh, they've invited him to come sight unseen, and so uh, that's an honor for him, but it's also a little bit uh, nervous, so uh, you might say a prayer for them while they're away from us today. Luke chapter 5 and verse 11, Luke 5 and verse 11, the text says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Well, I don't have my clicker, I just realized. (laughs) There it is, all right. Can we start over? Luke 5 and verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Have you ever wondered what would make grown men drop their nets, leave their boats, leave their livelihoods, walk away from a full catch of fish, as we'll see this morning, and follow Jesus? Because it would have to be something remarkable, something even life-changing, to say at this moment, I'm going to walk away from everything And I don't even know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to do, but I trust Jesus. I'm going to follow him. These men that are described in this verse are fishermen, but they are spiritually aware fishermen. Some of them had been disciples of John the Baptist because John the Baptist came preaching about the kingdom that was coming. They were interested in that. They followed John. They listened to John. And now Jesus has come. And they know Jesus, but they're still fishing. And so they're in that kind of no man's land of faith. Yeah, Jesus is something special, but I I don't know about following him. And so something is going to happen this day that will begin a domino effect that will affect the rest of their lives and really the course of history. This is the point where they begin to put it all together, where they think about what John the Baptist had said. And they also think about, you know, Peter, his mother-in-law was recently sick with a fever and Jesus healed her. That's got to play somewhere in the back of his mind. Then also they've heard about all the miracles he's doing. He's teaching all over the synagogues in this area. He is preaching and and through his word is casting out demons. And something happens this day where they suddenly say, wait a minute, if this is true and this is true and this is true, maybe I need to quit fishing for a little while and go see what all this is about. So I want us to think for this few minutes that we have together about this story and especially about this moment where the, the spark hits the wood, and the flame grows for these men. What happens there, and why does it happen? What is it like, as we're going to say this morning, to fish with the fish maker? I trust that you understand when I use that phrase, the fish maker is Jesus as Lord of creation and the one who created everything. And sometimes, as Lord of creation, Jesus exercises his power over his creation. Sometimes he'll take water and turn it into wine. Sometimes he will walk On water. Sometimes he will speak to the storm, peace be still, and it obeys him. Sometimes the Creator exercises his creative power. And so, what will happen here is when you fish with the one who made the fish, it becomes a life changing type event. Let's turn back a page to Luke 4 to get our bearings here. Luke 4 and verse 38. It says, Luke four thirty eight And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon, of course, is Peter, who we'll learn from the story. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus here experiences a huge spike in popularity in this region, which is around the Sea of Galilee. People are hearing about him, even the people in his hometown hear about him, although they're not as uh, warm to him as you might expect. And he has some contact with these people who are going to be future disciples like Peter and his mother-in-law seems to be maybe even at his house. So there are people around Jesus, but it doesn't seem like they have the permanent type commitment that we expect when we call people Jesus' disciples or later on his apostles. And when our story begins, they are working. They're not following Jesus. They're working, doing their fishing. So he has been teaching in the synagogues, but in our story, he's going to take his teaching outside outside of the regular worship time uh, in the synagogue. So Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, Luke 5 and verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I love this because Luke pictures this scene in a way that you can you can kind of see it, where you have a great crowd surrounding Jesus, and he's teaching. He's on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and as he's preaching there on the shoreline, just imagine if you've got a big crowd, and maybe, um, how do I say this delicately, some of us are not as tall as others, and so if you are not tall enough to see over the people in front of you, have you ever had that experience? Maybe you're in a church pew and the person in front of you is taller than you and you can't see around them, okay, or you're in a movie theater or something like that, well, just imagine if there's a great crowd of people and you're five rows deep, you can't see Jesus and you probably can't hear him either. So here he is teaching and all the crowd is thronging him and so Jesus decides, you know what, we could have a more effective communication opportunity here if I just had a little space behind them. And so... There are some boats sitting around there, and and, uh, I've got a picture of a boat here, something small, something that's just a fishing vessel used on, on this smaller lake. And the fishermen are not in the boat because they've been working all night, and they're tired, and they're done because they didn't catch anything, and they're out washing their nets. Maybe they're to the side listening to Jesus out of one ear and doing their work with the other ear. Not that you work with your ears, but you know what I mean. And so Jesus decides, you know what, I'll take one of these boats. And will go out a little bit from the land. And he he teaches them from the boat where more people can see him and possibly hear him. And uh, so it's a little more effective for them. So he teaches for a while. And then he ends the session. He is probably out in the boat with Peter and a couple other guys. And uh, at that point, something interesting happens. In verse 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, so just like he said back in verse 3 that word that says he put put out a little from the land, you know, hey, let's go out a little bit. Now he says, hey, let's go out a lot. Let's go out into the deep water like you would if you were fishing and then put your nets down. And so there is a, an interesting little dialogue here. I think we kind of have to read between the lines to figure out what's going on. You can at least hear in Peter's tone that Peter thinks, Jesus, uh, that's not the best idea. Because I, for one, nighttime is a better time for fishing. Uh, this, is, this is not going to work. Jesus, you know, here's Jesus. He's a teacher. He's a carpenter, but he's not a fisherman. And uh, so you're on the boat, and you think, oh, this would be cool. Let's go for a fishing expedition. They're all tired. They've been working all night. They caught nothing. We're not going to catch anything. (sighs) Okay, it's that exasperation, I think. Uh, Sometimes I relate to this. You know, if you've been working all day, and maybe your your child says, Dad, can we do this? And you say, oh, that's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Nothing good's going to come with this. But, But there is that kind of, okay, I'll go along with it. And so Peter does. Now, in verse five, he calls him master. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So he says, you know what? Just because it's you, I'll do it for you, Jesus, and we'll go and we'll let down the nets again uh, just for you. Verse six, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to see sink. So they let the nets down, but they have a really, really hard time pulling them up, and the nets begin to break, which is a huge problem. For one, you're going to lose your catch. For two, you're going to break your nets, which is the source of their business. But uh, it's sort of like if you've ever been fishing, maybe deep-sea fishing, and, uh, and the, the rod starts to really bow, you know you've got something. okay. And so you're trying to reel it in, and sometimes you need people to come help you because you've got something big. Well, that happened in the ancient world, too. I was reading about this uh, there are actually times where there are big fish stories in the ancient world where they'll have a net and they're trying to pull it up and they can't figure out what is so big and they pull it up and it's a dead camel. And they pull it up and it's a, a giant rock. Okay, Who knows what's under there? I mean, it's just like when you've got your rod and reel. You don't know what you've got. And so they don't know what they've got. And they're pulling and they say, hey, come help us. We don't know what we've got here. And sure enough, it's full of fish. A large number of fish. In fact, these words that are translated large number in verse 6 actually means many multitudes of fish. It's many, many's of fish. That's what he's trying to say. And so the boats are so full that they start to sink. So this is more than, you know, fishermen do this where they, hey, I got a good spot. Here's the spot you go. All the fish are there. And maybe it's my secret spot because I don't want everybody to come get all the fish. And fishermen knew that. That was true in the ancient world, too. This is something beyond that. In fact, Peter and the other fishermen know it's something beyond how he's got a good fishing spot. Jesus just happened to know something. And Luke knows this is more than just Jesus found a good fishing spot because he includes this as a story to demonstrate Jesus' divinity. What's happening here is otherworldly. And I think you especially see that from Peter in verse 8. In verse 8 it says... But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knows. He knows what's happened, and he knows it isn't luck. This is not just a big fish story I get to tell my kids about. Jesus said, Go out into the deep and let the nets down for the catch. It wasn't the good time to do it. This was not a good idea, and yet look at what happened. And so Peter approaches Jesus, and he kneels, and he says the opposite of what he really wants He says, depart from me. Peter doesn't really want Jesus to depart. I think we know that. Peter is about to follow him. He wants to be with Jesus. Depart from me is more that Peter is saying, I am not worthy. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be this close to you. I know now that there's something different about you. And so I am unworthy to be in your presence. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also... And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So Luke explains the reason for Peter's strange reaction, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, is because everybody was amazed at what they had caught. This was not ordinary. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says what every angel who comes and terrifies the people who see him says, which is, Do not be afraid. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what would Peter be afraid of? I mean, more fish? What's the fear? The fear is Peter knows he is in the presence of a manifestation of God. And so Jesus says there in verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, he says in verse 10, you will be catching men. From now on means from this point forward, there's going to be a change not only in who you are, but in what your mission is. You will be doing something different. You will become not just a fisherman, but a man fisher. So Jesus, now, you can begin to put the pieces together if you're Peter. Jesus is not teaching because he can't do anything else, and because he's not good enough as a fisherman and not good enough as a carpenter, and so You know, he can't do it. He has to just go preach because that's all he can do. Instead, Jesus can do all the things. And now that puts an emphasis on the fact that he is choosing to teach instead of all the other things he could do. Think of the money he could make if he was fishing like this. Think of the money he could make if he did all these things for profit. Instead, he's doing all of these things to show people this is God's will and to bring them to God to fish for men. Verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, including the fish, by the way. They left everything and followed him. So they have seen a catch of fish they could only dream about. But they don't say, you know what, Jesus, give us a few hours to go see what we could get at the fish market. So, I mean, we could, we could follow you a lot better with a little jingle in our pockets. They leave everything and follow him. So that is what it's like to fish with the fish maker. I want to spend a few minutes now kind of working with the logic of this text because there are some things here that I think we need to chew on for ourselves and especially uh, if what we are seeing here is the moment, the tipping point for these disciples where they move from I'm interested in Jesus to I'm ready to fully follow. Then we need to think about how that tipping point might happen for you and me, whether it's happened and how we can ensure it continues to happen. So the logic is something like this. If Jesus knows this about fish, if this is the way we're working with fish and he can direct people to them and do this in a way that is beyond human comprehension, then first of all, what does that mean about sin? This is the way Peter thinks. So I want you to look with me again at verse 8. Peter says this in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, when he sees this whole scene of the fish and the, the nets breaking... He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So we don't get a lot of insight into the exact, you know, workings of Peter's mind. But the basic things are here. Only God could have done what I just saw. I just saw something that I have no human explanation for. So, this man is from God. And if that's the truth, if this man is from God, then there is this sense that throughout the Bible, when God appears, God appears through particularly angels who are special representatives, who are marked by being frighteningly righteous, frighteningly holy, so holy, so righteous, that it is too much for a man to be associated with them or be close to them. And so I mentioned earlier, there is always that don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because for one, I mean, it's terrifying to see a a being that wasn't there before. But beyond that, there is, if this being is here and he is more powerful than I am and more righteous than I am, then I can do nothing but bow before him like Peter does. And I can do nothing but hope for mercy. And so, usually, when that goes through the minds of people in the Bible, there is a fear that then has to be reassured by the heavenly visitor. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. The Jews also had a very strong sense that if you're going to go into the presence of God, you've got to be ready to be in the presence of God. And ready means clean, pure, holy. And so you need to be washed and you need to be consecrated and there need to be sacrifices offered on your behalf to purify you because on your own, you have no right to approach God. God is far too holy and far too righteous for mere men to approach him. So you remember Isaiah, when Isaiah sees the vision of the Lord on his throne in Isaiah chapter 6, his words are, Woe is me, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. What does he mean? He's not just talking about his lips. He is saying, I am not worthy of this. I am dirty. I am defiled. I am sinful. And I live among sinful people. How can I see what I'm seeing? Surely I'm going to die. Surely this is just the prelude to judgment that is deserved. And so like Peter, he says, I'm sinful. So think about Peter. Here Peter is. I mean, he probably, he's been working all night. He probably stinks. He's not consecrated. He's not holy. He hasn't been prepared to go into the temple and worship God in his presence. And now here is God in his boat. And Peter just says, whoa, I know me and what I'm seeing I'm not worthy to see. So what we're expressing here is that when we get close to God, it sharpens our awareness of our own sin. God is not sinful, and we are. So let me ask the question this way. Have you ever had a moment where you realized you were dead wrong? Absolutely, totally wrong. Or... Have you ever had a moment where you were deeply convicted of your sin? Maybe it was through a person. Someone said something to you or asked a question of you, and you realized in that moment, wow. There is something overwhelming about the moment of conviction. It's the same moment that happens on Pentecost when it says they were cut to the heart, where we say, wow, I have missed it. That's what Peter gets. And that moment is so motivating and helpful for Peter that it results in him leaving everything. Not so that Jesus will depart from him, but because Jesus is willing to have him. And so if Jesus knows this about fish, then it naturally leads us to ask the question, what does he know about my sin? And will he have me despite my sin? In fact, will he help me to deal with my sin? By the way, just one more thought on that. Do you remember what the last thing out of Peter's mouth before this was? It was a, a doubtful statement. Well, Jesus, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's not going to work, but I guess because you said so, I'll go along. It seems to me that Peter is in a totally different disposition now. Where he says, maybe I'm sinful even for saying and thinking what I've been saying and thinking about you. Second thing, if Jesus knows this about fish, what about his power? Look at verse 9 with me. In Luke 5 and verse 9, it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So while Peter is there thinking about the implications for himself personally, all of them are astonished. These men know how hard it is to be successful as fishermen. They have their secrets. They have their spots where they work best. They know what they're doing. And then they see this guy who doesn't know the first thing about it. And he is directing them where to go. And they say... This is not normal. Very often after Jesus does a miracle, you have these scenes where the people who have seen the miracle will sit around asking a question like, what kind of man is this? Or he has done all things well. It's that that moment where they begin to think, if he knows that, what else might he know and be able to do? For me, it usually comes back to sports. I apologize for those who don't like sports, but uh, for me, it's like a sports analogy. Sometimes you'll be watching a a game and you'll see an amazing play. A guy does something, you know, he jumps out of the gym or, you know, he makes an amazing catch. And and there is this thought that enters your head, at least it enters my head, which is, I mean, was that a one-time thing? Or can that guy, I bet he couldn't do that again. That couldn't happen again in a million years. But then there are some players, they do it again and again and again. They make the amazing catch time and time again. And then you begin to say, wow, I wonder what else he could do. Now, I hope you see that's a small scale. People are not Jesus. But on a small scale, that's the thought here. If he could do this with fish, if he could do this with bread, if he could do this with water, what else could he do? And there is this amazement when you begin to say, well, there wasn't, you know, all the people that they brought to him to heal, he healed all of them. You know, he healed the fevers, he healed the epileptics, he healed the lepers, he healed them all. There wasn't anywhere he said, you know what, this is not my area of expertise, I can't do anything about that. And so you begin to extrapolate, if he has power like this, what else can he do? And if God is going to send a man to do that kind of thing, I want to be on his team. In fact, I might just want to follow him around to see what else he could do. I don't know what he could do, but I want to be on the guy who's with God. I want to be on his team. The third thing is, if Jesus knows this about fish, what about his teaching? Don't forget that all of this is in the context of Jesus' teaching. Remember back in verse 1, where the crowd is gathering around him, it says specifically to hear the word of God. It's Peter who says, at your word I will let down the nets because you said so, and I heard a lot of things you said today, Jesus, and I'm going to follow this thing that you've asked me to do. And back in chapter 4, it said the same thing. What, what is this word? With authority, he directs the, the unclean spirits, and they come out. So Jesus has this power, but please listen to me. The emphasis here is not on his power. The emphasis on, is on what his power means about his teaching. If he can do this, should we listen to what he says? Remember, Jesus does this where he will show his wisdom by his power. Do you remember the story of the paralytic? Where they're they're lowering the paralytic, they have to knock a hole in the roof because there's so many people around. And as the paralytic comes down, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And all they all start complaining. And he says, you know what, okay. So you'll know that I can forgive sins, I'm going to tell the paralytic to get up and walk. Do you hear the the importance of that? You know, the, the paralytic walking is a temporary solution to a physical problem. The paralytic is still going to die. But saying your sins are forgiven is something that has to be proven and shown that what your words mean is really meaningful. And so Jesus uses his power to endorse his word, his teaching. So when Jesus extends an invitation here, he does not say, Hey, Peter follow me you'll know where all the fish are follow me you'll be able to heal all kinds of people now does jesus give them powers later on yes he does but that's not the invitation look again at verse 10 at verse 10 he says do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men let's go catch some men that's the real work that's the real power that's the real mission And suddenly, the the fishermen's eyes are open to everything Jesus has been doing. That's why there's this great crowd around the sea, is because Jesus is man fishing. Jesus is bringing people to God. And now he says, you, come help me. You want some proof? Let the net down. Now, if I can do that, shouldn't you be following me, teaching what I'm teaching, helping me draw people closer to God? What we're seeing here is that if Jesus convinces convinces us of his power and wisdom in one area, then we begin to translate it over to another and ask the question, shouldn't we listen to a man who is so holy and has such power? And when he teaches us the truth about one area, shouldn't we begin to trust him in other areas? That maybe even when I'm not so sure about it, that maybe I can trust that he has the right answers there too. Uh, Jesus, this is me personally, Jesus got my attention when he insisted that I deal with the major problems in my heart first. And Jesus, if you notice his teaching, you'll notice that. He says, you've got to get rid of the main thing between you and God. And if you don't, then the rest of it is just window dressing. Whether that's money or whether that's your family or whether that's some other thing that you say this is first, he consistently says, deal with that. Or else you're not worthy. There's wisdom in that. When I see that, it says, well, maybe I need to trust him about these other things he teaches me as well. So, if Jesus knows this about fish, what about sin? What about power? What about teaching? I want you to look again at verse 11 with me. It says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So, when they think about those things, sin, power, teaching, that's what tips the scales. And they decide, now, I'll I'll go all in with Jesus Now, so I want to take just a moment here at the end of our time and ask the question, what about us? What is it that would be the tipping point for us to say, you know what, I'm ready to go all in. I suspect that for many of us, this has already happened. And at some point in the past, something tipped the scales for us where we decided, yes, now's the time. I wonder what that is. I think if we were to, to ask one another, if we were to go around the room, we would have a million different stories. Maybe not a million. We don't have that many people, but we would have a lot of stories. And some of us would talk about, you know, I really messed up. I messed up so bad that I thought I was going to lose everything. And Jesus taught me and showed me a better way where I could be forgiven. And I was so overwhelmed by my guilt that I knew this is the only thing that will save me. And it tipped the scales and we decided I want to be all in. Maybe it was some hardship in your life, you know, uh, something that you weren't expecting, a financial hardship. Maybe it was a sickness, difficulty in your family. And you became overwhelmed by that so that you realized, I'm not capable of handling things myself. I need help. Maybe it was a conversation that you had with someone. And that conversation, in the course of that conversation, it it tipped the scales and you decided, you know what, you're right, it's time. Maybe it was just a decision that you said, I need to decide this, I'm ready to be all in, I want to do this. And you can't point at a single thing that tipped the scales. What this text shows me is that those moments are going to be moments that expand our view of Jesus, where we think of him in a different way than we used to. You see that in the text. Suddenly, they're thinking differently and higher about Jesus. And so it will be for us. And it might be that these are moments that expand our sense of guilt. And I want to remind you, guilt can be beneficial when we have done things that are wrong because guilt can motivate us to deal with a problem. Just like Peter, we could say, I need help because I am a sinful man. Maybe it's just that we have a decision we need to make that we're ready to go all in with the one that we know so much about, but maybe we haven't thought about it in such serious terms as we know we should. Now, you and I can't go fishing with the fish maker. That opportunity is not currently available to us. But it is my belief that we need to be impressed by him afresh because that is the thing that puts us over the edge to say, I want to be all in with him. So I hope you'll think about that. And if there's something that we can do, to help accelerate that process so that you're more impressed with Jesus and ready to commit to him, that you'll let us know about that. Thank you for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.